welcome to Pull a Pin Ready, a place where average veterans come to share their views on the world we live in. We can't promise you'll like what we have to say, but we'll promise it's genuine. I'm Jim. And I'm Mike. It's time to pull a pin. Let's get started. All right, Mike, what do we got on topic today? Uh, I think a good topic today, Jim, would be uh, the police. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pre- pretty good topic, something we're both very familiar with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Both coincidence. in the civilian side and the military side, right? Well, yeah. Do you, do you want to start off maybe talking about the difference? Because uh, if we do have a military audience out there that wants to know, I mean, there, I think there is a distinct difference between the two, but I think there's a lot of uh, similarities as well. Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the main differences is that uh, that chain of command. You know, you can have a private as a on patrol, but when he comes in face with a non-commissioned officer or an, an officer for that matter, you know, you have, you have to handle things a lot differently, depending on the circumstance. You know what I mean? Because it's not the same as in civilian. Civilian, you really don't care who they are, you know, and I don't mean to say that lightly, but it's, it's the fact of the matter. You don't really care about rank or what job they work or what position they have. You're out there to enforce the law. Whereas in the military side, it's a lot different. It really is. What do you yeah. think about that? I also agree. I think there's another aspect to that, too. I think chain of command is huge. I think, for one, it's a controlled environment. I think people are less likely to do uh, more crimes because they have something to lose directly. You know, they're not unemployed, so they just don't go out and commit crimes because they, they're unemployed. They actually have a career to worry about. And I also believe that uh, having that chain of command gives us another resource. So I remember, you know, working, we had 1805s, which were civilian tickets and 1408s, which were, you know, army scratch paper, right. uh, but you send it to their chain of command. So you can actually cite somebody on a 1408 and go to their chain of command. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Whereas think, on the civilian side, it's just one citation. That's it. Correct. Yeah. So I think you, you had a little more leeway in, in the military. Uh, you also had more of a controlled environment, so it was less likely to deal with crimes, but I don't think the crimes are much different. I no. believe they might have been less frequent, uh, um, but much different. Uh, I don't. I don't think they were much different. Right. I think it uh, depends. It also depends on where you were when you, uh, you perform those duties as well. Like if you go to some place like Bragg, Campbell, Hood, you know, places like that, or even some places overseas, it's it's no different than the civilian sector. Not at all. Right. Right. So, in my time in Hawaii, just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I did do law enforcement in Hawaii, so <laughs> I could share a lot of that. I could tell you all about the police work down on Waikiki Beach. I could tell you all about that. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying the police work we did was real, but right. probably 80% of it was just posing for foreigners' photos. Oh. <laughs> well, I would say like at uh, Fort McPherson back when it was open. You know, that was like uh, what we used to call garrison. There was a garrison command. You didn't really have any, uh, you know, let's say the meat and potatoes of the army there. You know, when I say that, I mean like the grunts, you know, 11 Bravos, you know, tankers and things like that and jobs like that. So it was a, it was a different environment, you know, at a place like Fort McPherson or those garrison posts, you mainly talk, you, you talk about how many citations you wrote during a shift. You know, but you go to Hood, Bragg, Campbell, and places like that, you talk about what we used to call stick time. You know, the last fight you had to break up and, you know, other murders, rapes, assaults, 
things of that nature. So it's real life. And I hate to say that Fort places like Fort McPherson wasn't real life, but you you know what I mean. You know right, what I mean. Right. Yeah. Right. And I also I have to acknowledge that uh, Fort Hood, I mean, I think at the time I was there, well, I, I don't need to give numbers, but it was a very big community. Oh, yeah. So the chances oh, yeah. of running into more crimes were definitely increased. It was like a yes. mini city, really. Yes, a city in, in its own, in its own right. And they had everything on Fort Hood. The murderers, right. the psychos, the, the, the rapists, everything. So it was like, a, you know, a regular little city outside base. Right. And I, and I almost feel like a, a lot of people might be listening or watching. Uh, they probably already seen a lot of it in the news. I mean, there's yeah. Florida's been in the news quite a bit. Uh, yep. I don't know about the most recent one, I think, was a missing soldier or something killed or something. Yes, yes. that's not the first time. Uh, Fort Hood's been in there. And I, I remember, um, just to give an example, like I said, I don't I don't want to give out numbers or whatever, but I mean, maybe it doesn't matter. But I think that was the largest um, patrolling units I've ever had to deal with as a supervisor. Right. Like I've never had to supervise that many patrols or personnel in any base I've ever been at. Right, right, right. And I can say the same thing for Fort Hood. You know, I can say the same exact thing. But one thing I wanted to touch on, the differences and similarities uh, when you're talking about that chain of command. Now, as a regular county police, county sheriff or city police officer, when you cite someone, it doesn't go to their supervisor. You know what I mean? Whereas, yeah, in the military, it goes straight to your job. And that's a big difference. And that's, to me, you can use that as a, and say it's a deterrent. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's what I was trying to allude to earlier is that that is an extra layer that uh, you don't have, the civilian policemen don't have. So right. I think in, in, in just a, a summary, in my opinion, I think it was a lot easier as a policeman, military policeman, than it was any time I was a policeman. Mm. You said it was a lot harder? No, easier. Oh, easier. Yeah. Uh, I would say the same thing. Yeah, I would say the same. Yeah, just in comparison. Yeah, because I don't know. It was different, but the the threat was still there, but it wasn't. I didn't feel like it was always there when I was a civilian. I mean, a military police. You know what I mean? But civilian police, oh, yeah, the crosshairs are always on you. Right. That's a big difference. Right. That's what I would say. Just the lifestyle alone. I mean, even even as a um, policeman, if you were lucky in the military to be in a, a what we call a garrison unit where all you did was law enforcement, you know, that's one thing. But most of the units I've, I've been involved in, they rotate. Right. So you, you do you do go from garrison law enforcement work to field stuff to, you know, training and, and you know, the, the like. So you actually had a break from it, too. So it wasn't exactly like you had to just grind the whole time like normal policemen do out in the streets. Right. So why you, do you think it was a lot more or maybe equal per capita, right, uh, with the complaints on, like, brutality and things of that nature? No, no. And I think uh, just anyone from the military would know that a lot of issues, uh, lower level issues are handled in-house. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't you don't have people doing drive-bys or shooting each other. I mean, obviously that happens, but it's not common. If people got beef, they take it to the pit or wherever right. they go, you know, or there's other people around directly and responsible, your battle buddy or chain of command that is going to keep you in check because it affects them. Yeah, but what I, where I was going with that was... Like when we were at Fort Hood on patrol, you didn't really have complaints of military police 
brutality. Oh, right. Oh, you're talking about from the aspect of from the civilian side. Right. Oh, right. no. Well, because what would happen, probably you have a lot of uh, soldiers that are just little, you know, they, they want to whine or say, oh, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, they contest it. But normally the chain of command, which is, you know, probably a lot smarter um, because they deal with these soldiers, they could probably tell right away if this soldier is probably pulling some fake stuff out, you know what I mean? I don't think they, I think they'd be able to spot some lie or, or complaint that wasn't legit. Mm. And I don't know, do you think that the military police, I mean, I've heard guys, do you think we had a bad rap as t- compared to the, the soldiers or sailors or whatever branch you're in as the police today do have with the public? No, no. I, I've yet to hear anyone speak of military police the way they do. When they speak of civilian police officers negatively, I have yet to hear anyone speak of military police in a negative manner. Yeah, or I, share stories where, you know, they have proof of military police brutality. Right. I mean, I, I've heard many of soldiers in my day, oh, you're an MP. Oh, you're an MP. You know, because probably because they were doing bad and had an experience where they got right. Yeah. So I've heard that, but I've never heard quite like, you know, the police uh, have to deal with, with citizens out here outside the military. So why do you think that is, though? Do you think it's like the training is different or maybe it's, uh, you know, repercussion? Well, if you do something wrong while on patrol, on duty? I don't think it's as simple. <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think it's as simple as as just nailing it down to one thing. And, and like I alluded to earlier, yeah, I mean, you're in a controlled environment. We've all been trained to be soldiers. You know, you're trained to be disciplined. You're trained to follow orders. You're trained, you know, a lot of different ways. When you get down into to the regular civilian society, I mean, you got people who they don't even have to be smart. I mean, like for their own sake, let alone for other people. So mm-hmm. I think it's hard to police people who don't have a care in the world, where in the military, if you get to that point where you don't have a care in the world, there's so many other worse things you can do. Yeah, that's true. Oh, when you said they don't even have to be smart, I thought you were speaking on uh, to become a police officer. No, but that's a good segue. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about who becomes police officers, you know, how this all begins. Like, I, I don't know about your experience, and I, and I hate labeling and, and, and putting people into categories and boxes, but labeling. I know they're... Right, Remember right. that. Yeah, Remember we, that. What's going to come up someday? We, we got that on the board. <laughs> uh, but, but what I'm getting at is, is, like, you can tell the type of personalities of people who do become policemen. And let's be real. You know, not everybody joins the military for a reason. Right. You know, so not everybody will, will join police force for a reason. Right. So falling short of putting people in labels, you know, they're more type A personality people, people a little more aggressive, more, you know, or people with a bone to pick. Right. You know, I think they're, they're not your common, you know, intelligent thinker that just, you know, moseys about his day. I think there's, there's more to it. But I also have to say the requirements alone um, – they can be tough, I think, depending where you're at, because I don't think any police department's the same. But I think right. if you want to give it a broad stroke across the board, I mean, I remember I was taking criminal justice classes. And then come to find out, I only needed 60 credits. Right. Like, I, they, they could have been in basket weaving or underwater uh, snorkel searching yeah. for sea dogs. I don't know what right. you do. <laughs> right. You, you know, but it, it had to be 60 credits. So the, right there, I was just like, so it doesn't have to do with anything to do with my job? Right. It's just a piece of paper. Right. Right. And just to touch on that also, 
I was I always wondered why when I got out of the uh, military, why I couldn't just walk into a civilian police job. I never understood why. Why do I have to go through the academy again? You know, I did basic training. I did the AIT. Maybe you should do a couple of classes on civilian law and, you know, maybe civilian police procedures or department procedures have classes on that. And I never understood why I had to do it just like anyone off the street. I never understood that. Right. And I, and I agree because I think that's one of the things I was going to talk about is training is, is I think um, – I went through a police academy because I had to get certified before I got hired. Right, and then I went, I went through a mini police academy with the department I was working with. And the mini one was exactly what you're talking about. They certified you on the equipment they used. They brushed you mm-hmm. up on, you know, everything to do with the department side of it. Right. You know, and, and I do agree the police academy wasn't a waste of time. Uh, because in the academy, I, I was required to learn about state laws and things right. like that. So that was important. Uh, but, you know, the driving, I mean, I've done the driving, I've been to courses, I've done a lot of this stuff. I don't think that was as necessary, right. uh, nor, nor was getting pepper sprayed again. Let's not talk about it. Uh, or OC. I don't think it's a lot different than pepper spray. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say that. We'll pull that one aside for, well, that was uh, not a requirement for me because I had already proved I've done it. But I didn't like the idea that they were going to make me do that again. Oh, so, I, I had all the certificates from the military, even on the civilian side. And when I had a civilian job, security job at Fort McPherson, they made me, I had all my certificates and I still had to do it. And then when I got in the uh, civilian police department, they said I still had to do it. And I said, that's that's enough. I just can't take it anymore. There comes a point where it's purely for their pleasure. That's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah. Because they, they say they want you to see how it feels. And I never understood how I have to see how it feels when I get sprayed. But when you train me on the aspartame, I don't have to see how that feels. Or get shot. I mean, oh, do I need to know what it's like yeah. to be shot? Yeah, I don't right. think so. But yeah. I, I do understand if, if they were using it as a, uh, like a weeding out, like a disqualification process, because if you are somebody who gets sprayed and you start freaking out, I mean, you could become a liability. So yeah, that's true. I do kind of understand some portion of the training, but right. I also think that, you know, you being sprayed once should be enough to say, hey, you know, I've been sprayed, I survived, they didn't fire me. And, and like you said, if you can prove it, you know, they should, uh, depending on what's proof these days. But uh, I know what you're referring to. You have the certificates and everything to show, just like I did. And if you can do that, then why do it again? It's a waste of time. Right. You know, it's just like you said, it's for their pleasure, you know. And so once uh, they admitted that, I was okay with getting sprayed again. I said, right. okay, let's, let's have some fun with it. Right. You know? But it don't tell back. me this is you know, good training. You know, no, no, it's not. <laughs> good training for who? <laughs> yes, exactly. Whoever's watching. Yeah, good training for you to not yeah. to laugh. That one of those try not to laugh videos, right? Yeah, yeah. Just like getting tased. Don't <laughs> understand it. Same I've never, thing. I've never been tased, thank God. Uh, I did accidentally touch an electric fence at a horse farm. Probably not the same, but let me tell you, it still wasn't enjoyable. Let's say I've never touched an electrical fence at a horse farm, so I can't compare. Well, (laughs) I'm not a complete idiot. I was actually trying to pet a horse. I think he baited me in. I think it was for his pleasure. Yes. (laughs) You had a couple more down the road with the video. Exactly. (laughs) 
cell phone, yeah. So, so let's stay on the topic of training. Just just give me an opinion. Uh, you think, uh, I know training can be different anywhere. Uh, you think, it, was training adequate for you or was it not? Oh, uh, yes, it was. You, which one? Which one? Uh, any part of it you share? No, the military or civilian? Uh, well, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, well, why don't you start with the military? It was military... military- I think it it was, and I'm glad that we got a lot of the physical stuff out of the way, so you can just focus on the classroom portion, you know. And but for the uh, civilian, there was no none of that physical fitness stuff. So right, right. Just, yeah, you had to pass a test with the department, and once you pass that, that was it. But for the classroom portion, like you said, you get to you get to learn the uh, state law you know, state procedures, you know, crimes and all of that and all of that. But the when you come back to the department, then you, while you're on what we used to call the uh, FTO, yeah, yeah, FTOs train you on all the uh, department procedures and everything. Yeah, I was going to say, I think if I look at it as a whole, um, military police training, I, I kind of thought that was a joke, but I think it was appropriate for the level we were going into and yeah. the environment we were policing. Uh, when I look at the civilian police training, if it wasn't for FTO, I would say it was inadequate. But I think the FTO added a lot because I don't know about your FTO, but mine was like a year. I mean, and you take uh, yeah. one you take one quarter uh, where you just kind of observe and it progresses from there till the very last uh, quarter of the year. You're doing it all and you have a civilian or a, a policeman in civilian clothing actually observing you. Oh, okay. So that was my experience in FTO and I thought that was brilliantly run, very effective. And, you know, they were always there to assist me and debrief me after I, I'd been on a call or did something. Right. So I thought it was really a year's worth of training. And I thought that was exceptional. Well, mine was, I want to say somewhere between three, it was like a three to five months. And I thought it was very good. Very good. Not so big department. And we had three phases, you know, we used to call it you crawl, you walk, and then you're running. And we didn't have the civilian clothes officer or anything like that. We had, you know, right. regular patrolmen, the FDOs did the training. And all three of mine, they were different. And they had different aspects of the uh, doing patrol that they, they all loved. And they, it was all different. So mine was excellent. Yeah, and, and that's I think, something I didn't get in the military. Right. And I think one of the good things about my FTO experience, uh, the field training officer experience part of it, was that I rotated. I, I didn't stay with the same guy the whole year. Right. It was, right. you know, and that gave me a chance to see the different personalities and, you know, the different approaches to police work. And, yep. and you know, as we're talking about that, it kind of leads into to one of the things I want to discuss about the people. Like, I know I don't want to narrow them down into categories, but I mean, I went from having former military guy that was gung-ho and everything was about the breaking down the doors to basically what I called the, the mega nerd who mm-hmm. just <laughs> did, you know, stuff that I didn't understand half the time, <laughs> but I'm sure he had a place in a, in a way. Right. Uh, so I think that the, the, the personnel on the police force that I've encountered varied drastically. Mm. You know what I mean? I think, I think they all brought something different. Um, but there was a sense of community, uh, you know, like they always talk about the blue line and all that stuff. Right. Um, but I feel like there was still a lot of and I, a diversity and, and diversity in all ways, you know, yeah. of, of officers, which is why I kind of uh, I get a little 
I get a little defensive of officers when we talk about them and how everybody's trying to wrap them all into one thing. I just don't believe that's possible or true. Uh, anytime you paint any group of people with a broad brush, to me, based on the actions of a few, it's wrong. Correct. It's wrong. I don't want to, this is probably a topic for another show, but I can acknowledge when someone, something that I learned when I was in civilian academy, right? Um, the guy, he, he always said, I don't care what you do when you're out there. And he would always hold up his badge. He said, don't embarrass the badge. Right. You know, and that's what he, that was his, I mean, that was his model, right? And he didn't even know, but we always walked around and say, hey, don't embarrass the badge when you go out there after the academy, you know, and I, I stick with it. And how many years ago was that? Right. You know, that's why when I see things and from start to finish, you know, not a little four second snippet. When I see things from start to finish, I can say, yeah, he embarrassing the badge right there. He had or she or whatever. It's an embarrassment to the badge. I can acknowledge those who have done wrong. You know, sure. and and that to me is the same thing that uh, I wish, you know, maybe he'll join one day. But uh, one thing he used to say is, if you don't acknowledge those who have done wrong, then we're a part of the problem. Correct. Don't, don't let that embarrassment of the badge define the badge. And, and, and it's I, sad to say that that's what's going on right now. Well, and I think I think there is something to say, just to play devil's advocate for a second, I think there's something to say that there is a general police culture. I don't think it's fair to say all policemen are the same, but I think as Americans, we can really be real with ourselves and say there are certain cultures about things. You know what I mean? There's cultures about any environment. Right. And it's really what the masses kind of take as the norm. Yeah. And that's the way I look at it. And I think police culture does have a lot more flaws than police, police people, of men or women. You know, I, I think the culture has some things that really do need to be worked on. And, and, I, and I'll tell you that from experience, like the first department that I went to work for, I really wanted to work there. And I was doing a tour of the place and I don't know if I've told this story or not, but uh, I actually witnessed um, these two guys go into a cell and because this lady was screaming, she was already handcuffed. And I, I don't know what they did exactly. I think I've already been, but just the way they were handler, I was like, it really wasn't necessary. But there were two officers who thought that that was okay. Now, I don't have the full story, so really I'm being just as judgmental as you're saying I shouldn't, right. but she was clearly in cuffs or something. She was she was not flailing her arms about, so even if they were going to hold her down and put, you know, a spit thing or whatever, I don't know what they did right, in the right. police department, uh, but I just felt like everybody kind of just looked away or it, it was something, I, I'm doing a, a tour. I mean, you'd think that maybe it wasn't bad. Maybe they didn't worry about it because it wasn't bad, but I'm just saying my perception, it, it didn't sit well. I didn't, I actually didn't go on to work for that department. Oh, okay. That's because good. of that, because of Admirable. that, because I felt the culture was a little bit too, too lax. Mm. And back in my time, I wanted to go, and I was all going to Atlanta. I wanted to be on APD. That was it. Nothing else. Bam. Had a friend of mine who worked on it, APD, and said, what the hell is your problem? Stay away. Right. That's literally what he told me. He said, hey, man, you need to go to one of the smaller departments. You'll learn a lot more. You know, you know, your equipment will be better. So, you know, he did me a solid. And next thing you know, I ended up at a smaller department. And it was excellent. Well, I, I tell you, just to tie it in, like with the culture, what I'm saying is, and I think it's one of the dynamics we see in today is, 
you can have a culture, even if it's in your department small, you can have a culture that's not very harmful. But yeah. you get into a bigger department, you're more likely going to run into more bad cops. You're more likely going to run into some uh, extended culture of police work that's probably going to lead to even corruption. And I, I'm not going to lie. I don't know these departments personally, but when you look at the NYPD, Chicago Police Department, all these major cities, I don't find it far-fetched for there to be a lot of deep-rooted corruption in there. And oh, me neither. They're no. embarrassing the badge. Is, yes. is bottom line. They are embarrassing the badge. And I think to be a part of a culture that's so big like that, you can't be a good guy and and say something because you'll get hazed. You'll get you know, somebody won't show up when you need the backup. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think it's a dangerous that's place. That's part for of that culture. So yeah. so coming to that realization, I can understand some of the outrage against policemen, but I just think it's very unfair to paint them all the same because there's a lot of a lot of policemen who aren't a part of that culture and don't approve. And those are the good ones. Right. And the, the uh, man, this is going to sound so bad. Those are the good ones. Those are the great ones. But the better ones are the ones to me who speak out. And, you know, recently we had a lot of those, those personnel just speaking out about things that were happening in our country in certain departments and everything. And I thought that was a good thing. We need more of it. Don't embarrass the badge and don't stand for it. Right. And then people will believe in the police before and they won't throw out. Oh, here we go again. That blue line, that blue line. You know, they taking care of each other, you know, and, you know, it's it's no different to me than if. Well, God, this is going to sound real bad. (laughs) (laughs) Two in one show. Yeah, I know. Right. This is going to sound real bad. But, you know, you have whoever's in office, whoever the president is. You know, whoever has the office, if that president does something wrong, people in that party just keep their mouth shut. Right. They don't they see no wrong in their own party. So it's like that with the uh, in that police culture. You see no wrong within your own your own culture, your own department. And to me, you need to acknowledge it. Man. You, you have to if we're going to move forward. Well, I, think, I think it goes deeper than that. And I'm glad you brought up the, the analogy of the parties and stuff like that. I think it goes deeper than that, because if you look at those parties as well as the police force, uh, they've got something to lose. Um, unlike the military, we're PCSing, we're changing duty stations often. Mm. So you don't really have to support the people who are doing the wrong thing. But if you say you, you live in Chicago, you're, you're diehard Chicago, you, you don't want to leave, you're not going to transfer. I mean, imagine having to come to work every day, knowing there's so much going on. And the moment you say something, you could be set up. You could be set up, fired, your life ruined. So I'm not giving these guys an out because I still think the right thing to do is always the right thing to do. Right. But I am saying it's more complicated because people on the outside want to look in and say, oh, why didn't you just tell on them if it was bad? And, you know, I do. I I try to to look at it from a perspective of I I try to err on doing the right thing all the time. I mean, I always do. But sometimes you have to step back and say, you know, what's at stake for me when I do this? Right. You know, so that's where I think it comes into play where you need a good department or you need a good system where they can do maybe an anonymous complaint mm. or something where they're, they're, they're making less risk, but they're actually doing something. Right. And that's why I'm, I'm a staunch supporter of uh, dash cams, uh, body cams and all of that, because that to me, it has saved more officers than uh, uh, can help convict some or get them terminated. Oh, I agree. Whatever. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't know. If, I don't know if you've seen the latest technology they're trying out, but they have gun cams now. 
cameras on the guns. Yes. Wow. It, yep. I saw. I saw. Video. I mean, I've seen that, but not on departments. Oh, wow. they have departments right now trying them out. And I, I think that'll yeah. resolve a lot of issues because I, 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 I'm going to love to spend some time maybe in the future, you know, picking apart some of these police shootings and mm-hmm. uh, especially the ones that make media and, and cause uproar, because I think a lot of people don't understand um, what it takes to be a policeman. I really think people can't relate. No. I, I mean, they, they have a standard of a policeman that they don't even hold for their own doctors and doctors oh. kill a lot of mm. people through mm. practice. Well, yeah, that's why, you know, they have medical insurance. Right. But yeah. I'm saying is, is that it, it, <laughs> if, if, if you go to your doctor and he suggests a, a surgery and in the middle of that surgery, something goes wrong, whether it's his fault or not. I mean, you're dead. You know yeah. what I mean? We don't have riots and uprising against doctors. Right, but then you have a, but you do have the opportunity for a malpractice lawsuit. Well, I, I think know? that's a mis- misunderstanding too, because Why if a poli- because if a policeman breaks the law, you can sue him as well. There is no protection. Cops don't just have a blanket immunity. That's not true. Understood. Understood. That's what the wrong the, the perception people have out there is that the cops just have this blanket immunity. It's never been that way. If well, they violate rules, regulations, policies, or or the the Constitution, I mean, that you can sue them because that's that's a violation. They're only protected when they're doing their duties in good faith. You really believe that? I, well, that goes back to the culture thing. Okay. Now, there may yeah. be some discrepancy in the culture, but if you want to talk about on the books, mm-hmm. legally, black and white, written, no questions asked, they aren't protected. So this whole blanket you immunity they, stuff. Well, yeah, then we get into, well, did they do something wrong that's against the law or against department policy or just, you know, bad morally, judgment. come on. Yeah, it's bad judgment. But I'm not even going to say it's bad judgment. It's like it's morally wrong what they did. Right. Sure. But then some departments come back and say, well, you know, they they upheld the law. Uh, they followed our department policy. And I'm like, wow, you need to relook your policy then. Sure. And then maybe that's the case. Like, let me, let me tell you, I may be giving away where I used to work, but uh, you know, they're, they're complaining about tasers and things like that. Do you know one of the pieces of equipment we carried? What's that? Nunchucks. Yes. What? Nunchucks, you know, karate. Yes. And let me tell you something before you make those ugly faces. I mean, nobody listening can see that ugly face. (laughs) They were very effective. Very effective. Really? Yes. And the guy who created them worked on our department. That's how we use them. But they were very good for holds and and twisting and strikes if you needed them. But you didn't need them for strikes often. Right. Um, So my point I'm getting at is, is, heck, I don't even know what my point was. (laughs) I'm so excited telling about this story because I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, being a policeman carrying nunchucks. I've never seen that. Wow. Oh, yeah. I I can show you. But uh, let's, so let's get back to the, to the, the training, the job, you know, because obviously we had to train on that. So you take a thing like a nunchuck, but what every cop uses is a gun, right? Every cop has a gun. Yep. Now we've had plenty of training in the military. Um, policemen, we've been to the range qualifying several times, and I can tell you there are some holes in the gaps, too, and, and I don't want to pick out any specific gender, uh, but sometimes some things are overlooked to promote um, advancement. Yes. So um, if you want to talk about training, there's holes all through the training. But overall, I can honestly say that I know how to use my weapon. I know how to use it properly. I yeah. think the problem... Uh, starts to come in 
when you talk about when to use your weapon. Exactly. I think one thing about the um, difference, the difference, and I might be a little dated here, but the difference with the military is if you pull it, trust me, there's no, that's not a, there's no such thing as a show of force. And I see that way too often in the civilian sector. You know, if you pull your weapon as military police, yeah, it's, it's a better chance you're going to pull the trigger as well. And I think that's one thing. Now, if you're talking about like uh, with the training, as far as like uh, qualification, I can't stand it as uh, the military within the military because anytime you had, I don't know if you experienced it having to pull, draw your weapon, but um, every time I did, my heart rate was up. You know, I was nervous, but I was trained in that type of environment. So I knew how to use my weapon in that right. instance. Right. And, and, and let's let's talk about that for a second, because I think, uh, you know, a lot of policemen already live stressful lives. I mean, it's it's well, every district's different. I mean, I think we already yeah. can recognize that the guy's ready to retire. They go work in the rich neighborhoods where nothing ever happens, you know. And then the new guys always get the real rough neighborhoods. Right. So, but when you're in that environment constantly, you're always on the guard. I mean, we know this from military experience. Yeah. You encounter something that looks similar to what you've experienced, which we would call profiling. Don't confuse that with (laughs) racial profiling. It's called profiling because we're comparing it to uh, scenarios that have been uh, known to have similar outcomes. Right. So when you run into this scenario, you're already on high alert. You're you're pumped. You're ready to go. You really don't know what's going to happen. So when people make sudden moves or do things that just don't look right or even resist arrest, how do you consciously think you're going to respond with good training or not in that split second where you think your life is in danger? Mm. That's where training comes in. Well, I agree. But like I yeah. said, it, it, even though, and I'll tell you, even during training, uh, a good example of this is thing called sympathetic fire. I'm sure you know what that is, right? No, I never heard that before. Please okay. do All tell. Right. Well, I know you're being funny, but I'm going to explain <laughs> it anyway for anyone who hasn't heard of it before. That's so, why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's good. But anyway, so, so for example, like we trained in my department, we had excellent training. Uh, we would do a, a police car stop with two patrolmen and we would get out of the car, each in our own door, each on our own side. And there would be a, a, a person laying behind something who would draw their weapon out from the side. Now it was designed intentionally so that only one officer can see the person at a time. So what we did in our training, we were required to yell gun, we would draw and return, return fire or whatever the the situation required. Obviously, if it's a gun pointing at you, you don't have time to say drop your gun. You don't have, you know, any of that stuff. So we would do that. But the key would be to watch the passenger. And what would happen a lot of times, and it's called sympathetic fire, is the passenger would never see the gun but would hear his own guy yelling gun and shooting, he would also engage at something he didn't even see. Now that's a psychological thing. I'm not a psychiatrist or a sociologist or whatever those fancy names are, but I witnessed it firsthand. I literally knew what I was supposed to do, what I was not supposed to do. I was only to fire if I saw the gun and I fired. Mm -hmm. And I just said, whoa, what did I do? And this is also how you end up with 50 shots in one person. Yeah. So I think people, they don't have a realistic view of what actually happens. 
Are you, when you say people, you're talking about. I'm talking about the general public who are not. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, when you see those 50 shots, do you just blame that on training or? I think that's human behavior. I don't think any amount of training is going to instill that discipline unless you do it mm. constantly. And even then, you got to be put in real scenarios because let's let's acknowledge the factor that we can't identify how you feel. Right. You as a policeman, you can be 30 years on the job and know everything in the world, walk into a situation and say, this guy, you could profile a guy and say, he's not going to shoot me. Right. But you're, you're brand new off the block and, you know, barely got your cherry pulled there and you're, mm. you're, gonna, you're gonna walk into a scenario, you're gonna see things totally different. I can't tell, yeah. you could be a lot more scared or unsure because you don't have the experience. Yeah, you nobody, should be. Nobody can teach experience. Right. So I think there's a lot of factors and I think it's very unfair uh, to judge people you don't walk in their shoes. And I think it's been proven. I think uh, they brought a lot of, uh, of these uh, leaders so-called leaders um, into those firearm simulating, uh, uh, training simulators. Yeah. And they put them in scenarios and these people have failed miserably yeah, to I've get a better that, yeah. understanding. But I think the general public needs to understand that. Well, yeah, but uh, as a former police officer, just using that one scenario, 50 shots in one person, sorry. Well, uh, I, don't think those, <laughs> I, I don't think those 50 come from one person. No, I mean, it's like five or six officers. But that's what I'm saying. So the sympathetic fire, if everyone shot five shots, you know, and you and I know, I, I don't care, military not, nobody's counting rounds. Oh, no, no. No, but you're, you, you fire until the threat is no longer a threat. Right. Don't shoot to kill. And let me ask you this just for the record to get it put out there. In your military experience and your police experience, have you ever in your life met anybody who said, I'm going to go out and shoot me somebody today. Someone who's on the job? Yet some policemen or no. military policemen say, I'm going to go out and shoot somebody today. No. Never. Did you ever yeah. assume that maybe they wanted to? Shoot someone? No. Yeah, n neither have I. I mean, that, the point right. I'm trying to get across is when I hear people say that the cops are out uh, killing and, and murdering, it's nonsense. I don't think I've ever met one. Now, could it be true somewhere? Yeah, maybe. I don't know how somebody escapes uh, through the force that long, that far with a vendetta like that. But I, I, it's just, it's unreal. And I, I just don't think it's a good conversation starter to start that. Well, well yeah, it's, not, it's probably not a good conversation starter. But I mean, just because we've never witnessed that, there has been cases where the people said they're going to get somebody today or a certain demographic of a person today. Sure. You know, that, via email and text messages after the fact. Sure. Know? I mean, I would so, be curious. I'd be curious still, like you said, you're a man of full stories. I'd be curious to see what all of that entailed. Like it right. could be, you could take a racist person who makes comments like that all the time and then just happen to get into a shootout. That doesn't right. mean you went out to shoot somebody. Right, right. You know what I mean? So I would still want to see all the details. What, what my point I'm getting at is the, the percentage is so small that to, to be your loudest argument is really foolish of you. You just sound not you directly. I'm anyone who's using that argument. It would be foolish to start. Oh, they're out there murdering. No, murder inquires intent. And I have never seen that. So you're basing that off of your experience. I'm basing it off basically uh, 
Yeah, your experience. Right. During right. your experience, right. you've never witnessed anyone who said, I'm going to shoot. Sure, you. sure. And yeah. that does leave leave open doors that it is possible. And, and even yeah. like I said earlier, so I'm not, I'm not, this is not a scapegoat. I'm not saying that it's not there. I'm just saying it's not practical. I'm, I'm saying it's a small percentage. Even if you're in a corrupt place like Chicago, you can easily put that investigation together and right. know that, hey, this guy makes a lot of comments. Hey, this guy shoots a lot of people. It wouldn't take you long to figure out this is a problem. Right, or this guy, or this person made a lot of, of these type comments, and next thing you know, he did that. So, right. uh, yeah. I think it wouldn't take long. Now, you can get into another level of whether they figure it out and cover it up or not. That's a whole different topic. We, 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 you know, yeah, that's about culture and everything, what we yeah. were just touching on. Yeah. We, we've, been, we've been going down this police hole. We can do this, and we're actually going to try to bring this back a couple more segments because we got a lot of stuff to talk about here uh, with police work. So I'm going to go ahead and initiate a, a little pull the pin here. Um, otherwise, we could talk for hours, and I don't think people want to listen to us for hours. Uh, maybe I they think do. they do. Hopefully they do, right? Um, but but if they, they get to see you, they can stare at you for hours. That's great. Oh, then they'll, they'll, you'll cut the time in half then. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and do that. Let's move on to uh, our favorite uh, our favorite segment that we have the namesake for, and it's called Pull the Pin Already. And basically uh, what it is is basically we pick out something that we feel just annoys us just in the general public population or however you want to uh, label that. Uh, even though I don't Is like that labels. word again? <laughs> even though I don't like labels, <laughs> uh, I'm going to label it. Yeah. Uh, just for lack of better words, basically, we're going to pick something out and share with you uh, something we want to pull a pin on. Uh, do you want to uh, go ahead and start us? or uh, You can go ahead and get started. Jeff. All right. Mine today is a, a pet peeve of mine that you're probably going to disagree with. Um, and I even probably almost disagree with it as well from one angle, but it really annoys me. That's why I want to put it here. Um, it's called Doctor. Uh, and I did talk about doctors earlier to show, but doctor. Now, I do understand when you go to college and you work really hard and you get your doctorate degree, that somehow being called doctor makes you feel successful and appreciated and self-loathing and all the other bad things I'm going to follow up with this. But unfortunately, in our culture, our society, uh, we have another word for doctor, and that's somebody who knows what the heck they're doing in the medical field. So if I'm sitting in a car accident and I say, oh my God, is anybody a doctor? And you stand up and say, yes, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. Well, I don't know what I'm doing here. What do you mean you're a doctor? Oh no, I got my doctor's degree. I'm a doctor. Oh my God, people, please stop. Please. I don't care that you got your doctorate degree. I don't walk around with an associate's degree saying, I'm an associate or I'm a master. I don't do it. Okay, congratulations. Let me speak for the entire population. Congratulations. Now, please stop. Okay, because when I want a doctor, I want it to be a medical professional. All right, sorry, that was a little too much. No, no, you're good, you're good, you're good. <laughs> Ooh, got kind of heated there, Jim. Uh, Sorry. You, okay? you okay? I've experienced it. I've experienced yeah. it in the education world mostly. Right, right, right. And I don't look at these people and say, wow, you must be really good for my kids. <laughs> I, I don't do it. I don't say, wow, you must really know how to raise children or, or, or run a school. No, yeah. <laughs> that's not what makes me think you're a good uh, 
superintendent or whatever they're right, calling them right. these days. Superintendent, principal, principals, whatever yeah. they call them. Okay, okay. Well, well I, I disagree with you. I, I'm sure you will. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Only because you said I would, really. <laughs> but no, I was thinking about a good friend of mine, and I always, I always say she has a, uh, she's a fake doctor, you know. And then, oh man, if she could, she would kill me. She would. <laughs> okay, well, well, hopefully she sees this and you're saved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, just bring it back on topic. Mind Jim, today is going to be uh, a word you used a couple of times during this uh, show: labels. I can't take it, man. Labels. No matter, no matter, I'm trying to think of an instance where the label is a positive in, a, in this day in America. You know, the label that the masses are going to uh, call someone or some group of people, tell me where it's a positive, you know, and you really don't have it. You know, and I can't stand it. I don't care if it's uh, a religious label. I can't think of any right now. But anyway, if it's a political one, there's too many. We don't need to name them. Okay. Or just regular everyday life, any type of label you can come up with. I can't stand it. We need to stop it. And I know it's not going to stop. I'm guilty of it, but I'll be the first one. Michael Jackson said it best. I'm going to start with the man in the mirror or the man on the other side of this uh, webcam here. Okay, so pull the pen on it. All right, all the labels you can think of, put them in a box, pull the pen, and that's me right there. Well, I got to tell you, Mike, I have to tell you. Uh Uh-oh. If there were no labels in Walmart, I'd have no (laughs) idea what I was buying or how much it would cost. (laughs) I can't stand them, man. Well, I I, I understand. I understand. And I I honestly think we can have a whole segment on labels, so I'm not going to badger too much. But I know where you're going. So we will definitely stop labeling people who get doctorate's degrees as doctors. How did I know you were going to do that? Either way, that is all the time we have for today. So thanks for joining us here at Pull the Pin already. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Feel free to like, share, subscribe, or whatever else you want to do. Most importantly, leave a comment, preferably a nice one, but we appreciate anyone. And let us know how you feel. Until next time, Godspeed. And pull the pin.